I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And as Ben mentioned, we'll be hearing in just a few minutes from our next guest, our third segment on today's extended show, the District Attorney of Brooklyn, Eric Gonzalez, talking about, obviously, the events of the past week, protests and the prosecution of protesters and policing, but also, more broadly, uh, many of the issues that have come in on the fore for, for, for years and months here in New York City and are back in the spotlight now because of the uh, George Floyd killing and some of the others that have occurred recently, most of them at the hands of police officers. Uh, ben, it's an interesting time in the city as well because, you know, we're entering this this very unusually tense budget process. We're deep into the city's budget process. And one of the issues that is getting more and more attention, I think, because of this uproar over Floyd's death and, and what it symbolizes is the question of funding for the NYPD, one striking element of the mayor's um, sort of crisis budget that he issued last month was that while many departments do receive cuts, the NYPD does not. And it's a very large part of the budget. And that's why it's now got a big, uh, for lack of a better term, target on it uh, for people who are already very suspicious of the police department's presence in the city. This is going to be now one of the most interesting discussions as the budget season continues, a new city budget is due by July 1st. The mayor continues to press for federal bailout for the city's uh, lost re- tax revenue, which is nearing somewhere in the vicinity of 9 or $10 billion they're projecting between this current fiscal year and next. And so one of the important discussions that's happening now is, is if the city does not get a full bailout, what does the city do? And the mayor has proposed some modest budget cuts. He's proposed dipping significantly into the city's reserves. And then he's also asking Albany for the permission to borrow to cover operating expenses. But as the city eyes these cuts to agencies and services, one of the big questions is where the NYPD will fit into that conversation. And we're seeing a number of city council members today on social media pledging not to vote yes on a budget that does not include a significant defunding of the NYPD. And I don't know if that even necessarily, you know, means they would they would take that stance, whether there's a federal bailout or not. Yeah, that's a fascinating uh, question we'll see played out in the next few weeks. But we have more to talk about on that topic and related ones with our guest who is now on the line. He is the chief law enforcement officer for the County of Kings, the district attorney of Brooklyn. Mr. Eric Gonzalez, welcome to Max and Murphy. Thank you for having me back. I hope everyone is doing okay today. We're we doing are. Okay. I hope, same, hope you are as well. You. Uh, first, Mr. District Attorney, give us your sort of um, off-the-cuff thoughts about what we've seen in the past few days, protests and policing in the city and especially in your borough of Brooklyn. Well, let me first start off by just simply um, reaffirming that I believe that the protest, um, protesting the rallies, the support of George Floyd, his, his family, his friends, and the, his killing is appropriate, um, necessary um, to move us forward to a fairer justice system. Of course, it's disheartening um, when we have acts of violence and, you know, Brooklyn has had some acts of violence in terms of looting of stores and fires being set and some attacks of police officers on police officers. And so those things are unacceptable. Um, The good news is last night we had a much better night in Brooklyn. The protesting that took place was 
protesting that I think was on point and nonviolent. And uh, I'm looking forward for us to continue in that direction. But um, I don't want us to lose, you know, a way when we just look at the violence. We have to kind of go back and refocus our attention on why the protesters are out there. And um, these protesters uh, are out there um, in some ways risking their lives, um, you know, um, we're still dealing with coronavirus. We, we still have issues. Um, and so this is an important moment in our time. You know, I wasn't alive in the 60s during the civil rights movement, but I do see that this is going to lead us in a different direction in our justice system. I do want to, we do want to get to those larger issues, certainly, but just to focus for a second on the violence and, and looting and property destruction you've seen. One thing I'm hoping to do uh, is to find out exactly the degree of that, because I think some people from outside the city are getting the impression that like New York City is in flames. I have friends texting me. They think it's widespread disorder. How extensive has the uh, unrest, if you want to call it that, people actually smashing windows and stealing stuff, how extensive has that been in Brooklyn? How, where have we seen it and to what degree? Well, I was out there on Friday and Saturday. Um, I witnessed much of it firsthand. Um, I saw a lot of uh, um, nonviolent protesting. It was aggressive. Um, it was loud. It was in your face, but it was peaceful. Um, Friday night, uh, things turned, and um, you know we had a, a few incidents of Molotov cocktails being thrown at police cars. At least in one occasion. A Molotov cocktail was thrown at a police van that was um, filled with four police officers inside. Um, we had a police officer who was hit with a brick in his face. He was the commanding officer of one of the precincts, and he lost two front teeth. We had other um, really significant acts of violence. So I don't want to say that they were um, that the violence um, did not exist. It existed. Um, it's wrong, it's criminal, and it cannot be tolerated. But I did also see a lot of um, peaceful uh, and appropriate um, demonstrations and protesting. On Saturday night, we had our first kind of uh, number of looting incidents, and that was obviously very disheartening to um, many members in my community who don't want these protests to go down to be remembered as violent uh, looting and riots. Um, that was a problem on Saturday. It was a problem less so on Sunday um, in Brooklyn. Uh, I think Manhattan had additional problems also on Sunday. And by yesterday, those kind of incidents had largely stopped. And so I'm hoping that we are past that. Um, I've also seen in Brooklyn um, on a number of occasions where community members and people out there protesting have actively discouraged people from doing the wrong thing. I think that will continue to happen. Uh, and as the police commissioner and other advocates who have been out there have told me personally, um, there's a group of people who are not out there um, because of George Floyd necessarily. They're out there for other reasons and they're taking advantage. Um, you know, for our uh, protesters who are out there for the right reasons, they need to not allow themselves to get used by those people and separate from them to the best of their ability. But we, we um, here 
in law enforcement, it's important that we say that these uh, these acts of civil disobedience, um, these protests, are, are are called for, and that we we stand by them. What are you um, What are you prosecuting, and what are you declining to prosecute in this you know in this sort of period that we're in with the sort of volume of of arrests that you've seen? Um, what, what kind of markers have you laid down in terms of what your office is is doing in response to what's coming to you from the from the police? Well, we the, we have not seen a lot of cases uh, as arrests in Brooklyn. In spite of you know the conversations that we just had, um, a lot of those uh, uh, people who committed those acts of violence and some of the looting were not apprehended. And we've only put through um, into the court system about 14 cases, uh, and it's probably less than that uh, because a few of those cases then went to federal authorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's about another hundred arrests that have not reached our office yet. Um, there. Um, either summonses or a desk appearance tickets, and they're scheduled anywhere between 90 and 120 days from us. So I've made the commitment to the residents of this county that we will review every single one of those desk appearance tickets to see whether or not those individuals should ever have to come to court or those cases should be declined. And so that's an ongoing practice. I've declined a very small number of of, uh, protest cases. Normally when the the arrest was simply for protesting and not for an act of violence. We've had other cases that have come through that are sort of related to the protest, but the person was really arrested for a different thing. So we had a person who was arrested for carrying a loaded gun during one of the protests, and that case proceeded through. We had a, a, a person who threw a brick through an uh, RMP, um, so that person was arrested, and that case was put through for the uh, destruction, the vandalism of this uh, RMP. There were no police officers in that one. So acts of violence, um, we had a case where the police made an arrest of a looting case, and during the arrest, uh, two police officers were hurt, so we are charging that as both the assaults on the officer and the burglary of the establishment. Um, But those are the kind of cases that I'm taking a a firm position on acts of violence um, committed against our community will prosecute. Um, And we'll take a look at all the protesting cases as they come in. But the police are are so overwhelmed that um, we're not even seeing those, those uh, that paperwork yet. Mr. District Attorney, how about uh, cases involving the police? Is your office investigating any incidents where police may have used excessive force or behaved inappropriately in handling the protests? Thank you for the question, because it, it, it speaks to the heart of why um, these protesting um, is happening in the first place, that there's a sense that there's not accountability and that there's a different set of rules for law enforcement. And so I will affirm that my office is actively investigating Um, cases that are being brought to our attention. We set up um, a tips hotline on the first day. Um, It's tips at brooklynda.org. We also provided a phone number. Um, People are sending in video and photos and other um, concerns about, um, you know, biased policing and acts of uh, brutality that we're looking at. 
Um, I want just the public to understand that I am the you know district attorney. Um, I supervise lawyers. Um, we don't have you know um, arrest powers in the traditional way, and so when we investigate a case and we make a recommendation for a person to be arrested, we normally go to court and either um, you know put a case into the grand jury and get an arrest warrant, or we file a, a criminal court complaint on a misdemeanor and then. Um, get in, in the warrant on those cases. We don't put handcuffs on people directly as the district attorney, um, but there are investigations happening. Um, they're being pursued, and I would encourage anyone who has information um, to send us this material. Um, we saw just, um, you know, with Mr. George Floyd, the initial videos that posted and went viral only showed one officer, you know, dealing with um, and, and, and pinning him against the ground and, and putting and pressuring his neck with their knee. But when supplemental videos became available, you saw that there were other officers involved in that. And so we, we like to request as much video as possible. And I, I want to say one more thing that I think is important. You know, the rules of evidence in the, in the court um, do not allow me to play a video from YouTube. Um, we have to authenticate videos. We have to know where the video came from. We have to um, have someone who testifies about the video to say that the video is a true and accurate depiction of the incident. It hasn't been tampered or altered with. Um, so I think sometimes people think it's so easy, DA, you have the video, but we're, we're seeking witnesses and we're going to speak to witnesses, but it's ongoing. Um, and I, I commit to being fair to everyone involved, but we will do a thorough investigation. And if there's um, liability and if there's conduct that is criminal, um, um, people will be charged. Uh, just to follow up on that, can you give us a number in terms of, of what, how many open investigations you started and then, and then maybe, you know, the, the more general number of like about how many, uh, you know, sort of complaints or tips you've gotten? Well, we've received a, we've received a number of tips. Um, they're often um, on the same cases that you're seeing on the news. I'm not going to get into the very specific cases because I I don't want to do anything that later jeopardizes the case. But the cases that you've see, everyone has seen virally, um, the cases that the, the mayor and the governor have commented on. Um, these are the and and that they took place in Brooklyn, I should say, because some of the incidents were in other places, right. Manhattan and elsewhere. Uh, but the ones that are in Brooklyn are under investigation. And I, I put it quite honestly: if there's a a matter that shows uh, misconduct, if it's sent to our office, it will be investigated. Um, each and every one of these videos that's being sent to us, um, they're paired up to the appropriate incident and they're being assigned to prosecutors. Mm -hmm. they, uh, so it's an active investigation. Mm -hmm. And so let's zoom out from that, though. Um, you know, police accountability has certainly been, uh, you know, sort of a running theme uh, since you took over the Brooklyn District Attorney's office. Um, from your perch, as this conversation, you know, has really retaken the city and, of course, the country, what are the most important things that need to be done to ensure better police accountability? Well, I, I think that prosecution is often looked at as how we're going to change the system, that if, uh, if officers are held accountable, 
on this back end in the criminal justice system that it's going to change front end behavior. And while there may be some truth to that, um, I, I believe, and you know, I, I signed on to a letter with uh, a number of other prosecutors, 29 prosecutors across the United States that are really calling for systems changes to our justice system that ask for accountability and transparency earlier in. The DA's office should always be your last option for accountability. There really should be front-end accountability. And so, you know, for me, that looks like independent oversight of, of police unions, um, changing policies that may allow either a sheriff or a police commissioner or another person in charge of that thing to fire an officer, um, national databases of officers who have been found to have committed you know, violations of civil rights and other acts of you know, brutality, more and more open disclosures of bad practices of police officers who have you know, been found liable by their departments for having done the wrong thing. Um, and so if we start to do that kind of stuff, you know, and beef up our, our internal affairs bureau, I think we will see a quicker change in culture because this stuff is happening at the end. By the time the, this stuff gets to a DA's office, it really now comes, can the DA prove beyond a reasonable doubt that a crime was committed and all the legal standards of, you know, was the officer reasonable, was in reasonable fair, these different legal standards come into play. And it's important to note that in every jurisdiction, there are different rules. There's not a national standard about what is a reasonable, um, you know, behavior. And maybe that's a place where a Congress or, you know, can take a look at saying, is there a standard by which prosecutors should do this work? Um, but, you know, and, and then this just simple and uh, straightforward things like this neck restraint and chokehold should just simply be banned. I mean, you know, I was learning we don't have neck restraints necessarily here in New York City, but I was noting that um, in Minnesota that that is a common practice and there's over 200 plus um, you know, incidents of people of being restrained by a neck uh, restraint, and uh, I, I think that's outrageous, and um, and then all the other things that I think you know everyone's going to tell you. Uh, we need to have continuous um, bias, implicit bias training, um, and, and quite frankly, like one of the things that I've done here in Brooklyn is trying to change the conversation about the what justice looks like and what the goals of our criminal justice system are. You know, we want our justice system here in Brooklyn to be a little bit more about police and community working together um, to prevent crime from happening and prevent recidivism um, and not just uh, making arrests for the purpose of sanctioning someone and giving them a criminal record and then returning them back into our, our community. So we have to work together to shrink the footprint of our criminal justice system. If we do that, we're going to have much better relationships between our community and our police and much less likely to find the, our police officers, um, you know, struggling to have legitimacy in these communities, especially in communities of color. I do want to say one last thing here. Um, you know, in spite of everything that I'm saying that we have to um, take a hard look and we will at these, these incidents of brutality that, uh, that have been sent to our office. Um, 
I've also seen a number of police officers who have acted remarkably um, and have shown restraint as individuals and as a department. So um, that is not to minimize the bad things, but it's also to acknowledge that they're working on the tremendously difficult situations. Um, and so this office will be fair. We'll be fair to the protesters who are arrested. If their cases do not need to move forward, I will decline to prosecute them. We will also be fair to officers. We will take a look at all the circumstances surrounding the incident. But if they, if in my estimation, have broken the law, we will proceed on those cases. Well, thank you very much, Brooklyn DA Eric Gonzalez, for joining us here at Max and Murphy. We hope to have you on again soon. All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Everyone, stay safe.